Amen. Well, that was Megan Maxwell, one of our uh, high school graduates. She's going to be recognized during the 11 o'clock service, uh, during our second, uh, our third service uh, this morning, as well as many other seniors. So in uh, honor of uh, Graduate Recognition Sunday, I thought I wanted to talk about a little bit of a message that kind of goes along with it, but uh, really it's, a, it's relevant for all of us. And I want to start it off with a question, so this requires a response from you. Very simple. I already know the answer to this, but I'm still going to ask you anyway. Do you want to be successful? Okay, so 75% of us want to be successful, the other half, or the other, the other half, <laughs> you can tell how well I did at math in high school, uh, but the rest of us, I guess, not. So really easy question, right? Do you want to be successful? I would imagine most of us, all of us, would say yes. The idea, the definition of success is achieving the desired or the correct result. So in anything that we do, uh, we hope to achieve the desire or the desire to the correct result, whether, you know, it's school, whether it's work, whether it's sports, anything, we desire to see the thing that we set out to do to be successful. So I brought a photo this morning I want to share with you. This is me and uh, Miguel. There we go. Me and Miguel. Um, I was uh, 15 at the time, and I have the photo here. And I know it's Miguel because I actually wrote it on the back of this photo, and this photo sits next to my sink on my side of the uh, bathroom. And yes, I did say my side of the bathroom because when you get married, when you have sides, it is an awesome thing. So uh, my side of the bathroom, Miguel and me, we hang out, and uh, it's always a reminder of one of the coolest moments of success that I've ever felt spiritually. You know how I talked about, you know, you can have success in all things, but I think you can also have success in your spiritual walk as well. This was one of mine. So I was 15. We went to Annapolis, Maryland. Anybody ever been to Annapolis before? Anybody? Awesome place. Uh, highly recommend a vacation there. So uh, Annapolis, Maryland, we did a vacation Bible school, backyard Bible clubs, uh, did some construction work, different things like that. But during the entire week, I happened to be on a backyard Bible club team at a complex in Annapolis, Maryland. It was kind of like an apartment complex. And we were there in the uh, play yard uh, all week long hanging out with these kids. And, uh, and Miguel was one of the guys that I just had an opportunity just to get to know and hang out and, and just talk. And, and he could speak uh, English well enough that, that uh, him and I could have conversations. So that was really cool. And uh, so during the week, we got to know each other. And the very last day, we're getting all of our stuff up and we're going to the vans to leave. And this is it. We're done for the day. Tomorrow, we're going to hang out and rest. And then we're going to take a, ba- uh, a bus ride back home. And so I'm walking and Miguel's walking beside me. And then he, he stops me and he asks, he said, how do you become a Christian? And I said, what? And, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, this is awesome. You're asking me. And so I was a little nervous because I didn't want to mess it up, right? But at the same time, I'm thinking, man, this is really cool. He's asking me how to become a Christian. We've talked about it all week, but he's basically giving, giving me permission to share with him. And so I set my box down, and me and him sat down next to the box on the ground, and we started talking about what it means. I started sharing with him about Jesus and about how he died for us on the cross, and then now he's just inviting us to follow him, and in return for following him, he takes our old life, and he changes it, and he makes it new, and he gives us uh, eternal life with him. And after I explained all that, I said, is that something that that you want to do? You want to turn from your old life and get the new life that Jesus offers us? He said, yes. And so right there, me and Miguel, we prayed, and he talked to Jesus, and he told Jesus that uh, he was thankful that he forgave our sins, and he wanted to follow him, and he wanted to be a Christ follower. And that was the coolest thing I I think I'd ever seen. I think I was 15 at the time I said that. Yeah, Miguel was 7. And so uh, that was one of the the, biggest spiritual successes of my life because it was the first time that I ever got to lead someone to the Lord. And I remember walking back to the van, and Randy Williams, our executive pastor here, or administrative pastor, whatever it is, he doesn't know what his title is, and he tells everybody that. But uh, uh, we were walking back to the van, and he's driving, and he just says, I mean, I saw the biggest smile on your face because you saw the Lord use you in a way that you never thought possible. And I said, you're exactly right. 
And, and that's the cool thing about spiritual success is we see the Lord work in our life. And when that happens, man, it makes us feel like we could storm hell with a water pistol. We're like, man, this is awesome. You feel on fire. You feel on top of things. Like, you feel like you've got it going on. And so in preparation for Graduate Sunday and preparation for knowing that I was going to have an opportunity to share this morning with you, I wanted to think about and talk about spiritual successes. But not only spiritual successes, but also to talk a little bit about the spiritual failures. Because I think we need to know our successes as well as our failures so that we can avoid the failures and move forward through success. And so I started to make a list, because that's the kind of guy I am. It makes, me a lot, it makes it a lot easier for me to think through things if I can make a list. So I started to think about all the things that we would consider spiritual successes, and this is what I came up with. Number one, spiritual success, success that I think is leading someone to the Lord. And, you know, I was like, I think that's a pretty big deal. Like, it makes me feel good and successful. Number two, seeing prayers answered. Number three, being able to talk to somebody about our faith. Maybe they don't necessarily say yes, but just, you know, an open door. Number four, seeing invited friends brought to church. Number five, experiencing God in the details of life. Isn't that neat when you just see God work in a different way that you, you're just like, God, thank you so much that you were intricate and detailed in everything that you did and still powerful. Number six, God teaching you something new when reading the Bible. Number seven, seeing God use you and your gifts for his purpose. Number eight, God brings you through the struggle to show you something about his character. Number nine, seeing a need and meeting a need. That's one of my favorites. And then number 10, seeing our children come to know the Lord and grow in him. I would think that we would all consider those spiritual successes. When we see those happen in our life, maybe not necessarily all of them, but, but most of them, and maybe you have some that, you, that weren't on the list, but we would say that's a spiritual success. And, you know, number 10, particularly for me, uh, you know, my daughter, she's only nine months old, and we haven't had a lot of deep theological conversations yet, believe it or not. But I know one day there's going to be those opportunities. And so, you know, I want to I be successful. I want to come out on the other end of it knowing that I've led my daughter in the correct direction and have helped her move closer to the Lord and, and not stay where she is. So those are successes. What about failures? You know, I want to say we've we got to talk about those because I think it's important that we know what those are to avoid those and move toward success. So number one, it's the opposite of the other number one, not taking an open door to share our faith. I had a friend that I was asking these same questions, you know, what are successes and failures a couple of weeks ago? And she shared with me that she actually had, had gone to the doctor and, and uh, as she was there, she's like, I need to talk about my faith. I need to share. I need to share. And she ended up walking away and then she felt like, oh, I need to turn around and go back. And she didn't even turn around and go back. And she said, I would call that a failure. And, uh, and we've all been there, right? Number two, spiritual failure, defaulting to doubt and worry as opposed to trust in the Lord. Number three, ruining our witness with our words or with our actions. Number four, inconsistent with our prayer life or inconsistent with meditation, reading the scriptures. Number five, giving in to the same sin over and over. Number six, not having the right answers for tough questions about God or the Bible. Anybody just feel like that just kind of always comes up for some reason? Not having the right answers? Let me just let me break right here for a second. If you never know, don't make up an answer, all right? Just, just kind of like food for thought. Say, I don't know, but let's talk about it later, and then go do research. Sorry. All right, number, number uh, seven, stingy with what God has given me. Number eight, inability to see God move in our life. Number nine, neglecting opportunities to teach kids uh, about God or seeing them mess up as well. And then number 10, uh, men failing to lead their families spiritually. I would say that those would probably be things that we would qualify as spiritual failures. So we read those two lists, and I have an easy question for you, another one that I probably know the answer to. Which one of these two lists would you want to define your life? 
Number one, easy, right? But as I made these two lists, and as I looked at them, and as I compared my life to these two lists, what I found out was, firstly, as I'm going through the list of spiritual successes, I find myself wishing that was me. I wish I did that more. You know, I, I wish I took more time to share my faith. I wish I took more time to sit down and just be with God. Just that. And then I found myself wishing. And then number two, what I found, my, what I found out is that when I read the failures, I felt like I identified more with the failures rather than I did with the successes in life. And, and my guess is that I, if I felt that way, that you probably felt that way too. And so the good news about it is, like, this morning we're going to read from God's Word, and we're going to see that God does absolutely not want us to be in number two list, and He wants absolutely to move us to where number one is happening a lot more in our life. So that's the good news about this morning. You're in the right place to hear the right thing, because that's where we, what we all need to hear. Some other good news about this morning is, like, when you're looking at those lists, and you feel like, oh, man, I identify more with number two rather than I do number one list, hey, guess what? The good news is you're not alone. If you poll, I mean, like if you polled everybody in this room, more than likely we would just all say, yeah, we feel like we identify with number two more than we identify with number one. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. But mainly the, the biggest reason is that really we're just, we're just all kind of messed up to a degree. You know? I mean, if we just all admit it, that, that's the way it is. And so the good news is you're not alone because you're here to hear the right message. And also you're, you, uh, you're not alone in that we all mess up. So how do you move from, from failure to success? How do you move from uh, wanting something to actually that thing happening in your life? I think one thing that you can do is to develop habits in your life. And if you think about it, like if you want to lose weight, you develop a habit of what do you do? Eat right, work out, go to the gym, hang out with Pastor Levi. You know, number two, he's always talking about his guns. Uh, number two, you know, like if, if you want to get better at your job, like you, you develop a habit of, of studying your productivity and, and getting better at, at what you do. If you want to get better at sports, you practice your weak areas as well as your strong areas. If you want to get better at school, you know, you, you practice the habit of studying more. But what if you want to get better spiritually? What if you want to see success spiritually happen in your life more than your failures? What do you do? Jesus gave us a model for that, a model for developing God-honoring spiritual habits in our life, and I want to show you that. John chapter 15, looking in verse 1 through verse 8, is where we're going to read from this morning. So we're going to talk about the power of habit and what it looks like according to Jesus' model. So John chapter 15, you stand with me and honor God's Word as we read that together. I'm reading from the ESV, so you can follow along with, on the screen or read, it, uh, read as well. Jesus said in verse 1 of John chapter 15, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit he prunes that it may be more, bear more fruit. Already you were clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in me, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you give us a model for what it means to abide in you. 
Father, help us to use that model in our life, develop God-honoring spiritual habits, all for your glory. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so Jesus gives us a model for developing God-honoring spiritual fruit in our life. And so I want to walk through these uh, kind of verse by verse and kind of show you a couple of things. And then I want to show you where Jesus gives us that model. So 15.1, Jesus says, I'm the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. So he's given imagery that the people listening would have been familiar with. They're thinking of a vine. They're thinking of a field. They're thinking of fruit. So they're thinking of, you know, probably some grapes since he's talking about a vine. These aren't real, as real as they look. I had some people come in my office and try to pluck one up and eat them. They're just made of plastic. But that's the image they would have got in their head, real fruit. He says, I'm the vine and my father is the vine dresser. So that means that Jesus is the one from which we are connected to. He's connected to the father and the father walks by and prunes the vines. The only reason that you prune the vines is so that the fruit will get better and it will produce more fruit. So the branches, the fruit hangs off the branches and that's the disciples, that's the followers. So the followers must be connected to Jesus in order to produce fruit. And Jesus is connected to the vine dresser who is God who prunes the fruit. And interestingly enough, in verse, in verse 2, Jesus actually lumps all of the branches together. In other words, he says there's some good branches and then there are some bad branches. And he talks a little bit about what happens uh, to both of those. And then he keeps on going a little bit, and then he says, already you, are clean because of the, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Now, before we keep on going and talking about this passage, I want to make one thing clear, that this passage is not talking about the topic of salvation. Because Jesus only really talks about the bad branches and what happens to them twice, right here in, chat, in verse 2, and then a little bit later on, I think in verse 6. And so what Jesus is not talking about is not talking about us deciding or determining or him deciding and determining at that moment who's the good ones and who's the bad ones. Like That's not the whole point of this analogy that he is using to explain how it works when you're in God. He's talking about the ones that are in God producing fruit. So Jesus is more concerned in this analogy, in this story that he's telling about his disciples producing fruit rather than us distinguishing everybody who's not his disciple. It's about those who are called by Christ and in Christ producing fruit. He even says it in verse 3. He says, already you were clean because of the word. So he's talking to those who are already Christians. He's like, listen, already you're clean. You're good. You're, you are a branch producing or a fruit producing branch. That's you. And so at this moment, he's kind of setting, setting it up that he's not about to give them a story to explain the way. He just did that in John chapter 14. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. He's not about to do that. He's about to tell them how you produce fruit. And so I would think that if we were sitting there and Jesus asked this question, if he said, hey, would you like to know what it's going to take for you to be spiritually successful in life? And he didn't, he didn't ask that, but in this moment he could have asked that in the sense of where it falls in the passage. It would have been a good place, but he didn't do that. But if he did, and we were there listening in, we would be a resounding yes, I want to know. Because like, as I'm watching y'all respond to those two lists that we read earlier, like I saw joy and excitement and exhilaration on our faces as we read through the successes, like that's what I want. But when we read list two, we're like, no, I don't want that. And so if we were there and Jesus said, you may tell you how to be successful, we would say, yes. And Jesus answers that question in verse 4. He says, abide in me. He answers it with really just one word. He says, abide. Now the word abide remain, means to remain or to stay put. Not, that's not Webster's de definition. That's actually the definition uh, from the word that Jesus would have used that was translated into the Greek. And it means to remain or stay put. 
My wife uh, and my little girl left uh, last Tuesday to go on a vacation over to Vicksburg, Mississippi. It's like nine hours away. Uh, long drive. Anybody ever driven nine hours or longer? Nine hours or longer? Okay, good. Uh, so uh, even, even like shorter than that, like if I've learned, you know, that once you put a kid in the mix, even like an hour drive is a whole different ball game. But, but anyway, any extended period of time driving, you're going to a place, whether it's a family member's house, whether it's, you know, on vacation or, you know, whatever it is, you learn that like, like you're driving, you finally get there and you're done, the, like everything's cleaned out of the van, everything's clean, you know, done and ready and you're in wherever you're supposed to be in and you, you go inside and you sit down and you just, you breathe, you breathe for a second. And, and then, you know, if you have kids or, you know, some other family members around you or whatever, and they're like, well, hey, let's go do, and they're like, and you're like, no. Like, hey, why don't you get up? We'll go. Nuh-uh, not, not happening. What do you want to do? You want to stay right there. You want to remain put. And so when Jesus is telling his disciples to abide in him, he's actually saying, remain put. He's saying, stay right here. And that's a good thing to be reminded of because what he's doing is he's telling them that, hey, if you go anywhere else, it's not going to work. See, if you go over here and you try to produce fruit, it's not going to happen. If you go over here and try to do good works for your name, it's not going to happen. He's like, how does it happen? It happens right here in me because really right here in me, guess what? The work is done. That's the good news. And so when Jesus says, abide in me, it's a reminder that like he's already done it. So all we have to do is be in him. And then when we're in him, he, through the power of the spirit, does good works through us to his name's sake. So when Jesus says, abide in me, he's given us an invitation to remain in him in all that we do. So I'm the kind of person as I read these things, and he says in verse 4, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear much fruit. And in verse 5, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches, whoever abides in me. In verse 6, he says, if anybody does not abide in me, he says it several times. He says the word abide. I'm the kind of person, I read that, and okay, well, you say abide, Jesus, but what are you talking about? But, but, I mean, because like abide, like you're saying remain, stay put. Okay, so like what does that mean? How do I do that in my life? He answers it. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So there's two things from that verse that are essential to a life of abiding in Christ. The first one is obedience to his word. If you remain in my words. And then the second thing is if you ask whatever you wish, which moves us to prayer. So two essential, two essential things to abiding in Christ is obedience to his word and through prayer. And as I read that, as I saw that, I'm thinking, that's really simple. You know, we try to overcomplicate things. I'm the kind of person that, you know, um, I, I will read the manual because I like the fact that it has 30 steps to get to the, you know, the last thing. And I'm just that kind of methodical thinker for some reason. And so, like, when I read that and he's like, hey, two essentials to abiding in Christ, prayer and obedience to his word, I go, Are you sure? There's not more to that? But then if you really think about it, if you look at the life of Christ, that's all he did. Obedience to the word of God and prayer and connection with him. I mean, everything in Jesus' ministry centered around those two essential things. He abided in the Word of God. It actually drove him to the point where he died on a cross. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says that he learned obedience, that he learned patience. In John chapter 17, he actually talks about how God the, the Father is honored through him obeying and abiding in his Word that he gave him, the commands that he said to go and do the work that he was called to do. And then if you look at the ministry of Jesus, you'll see that the other thing he did, the other thing that was essential to his life was prayer, connecting with the Father. Mark chapter 1, there's this litany of like 
just ministry tasks that Jesus was doing and healing people and, and talking and teaching and all of this stuff. And in the end of Mark 1, it, it shows us a very cool thing that Jesus did. It says he escaped to go pray. Busy, 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 busy day. What's the thing that he does to get away from it all? He goes to pray. He connects with God. In Matthew chapter 4, being tempted in the wilderness, what is he doing? He's talking to the Father. In John chapter 17, as he's preparing to leave his disciples and go to the cross, what is he doing? He's praying for his disciples and he's praying for us. So we see Jesus in his life. There are two essential things to abiding in the Father, obedience to his word and prayer. And real simple, right? Thank you, Jesus, that you make it simple. I mean, we have a hard enough time as it is, but it's a good thing that he tells us and shows us that, hey, abiding in me is as simple as just doing what I say and talking to me. He relates to us as, as a father relates to his children. So abide in me. And then from there in verse 7, he moves on. Remember those lists that we talked about? In, in, in verse 7, he moves to verse 8. And this is in, in where verse 8, he kind of gives us a little bit more. And he actually shows us how this model is going to take place. This idea of how do you create God-honoring spiritual habits to abide in Christ for the purpose of fruit to the glory of God? How do you do that? In verse 8, he shows us. He says, by this, and by this, he means like by everything I just mentioned, this whole idea of abiding in me, that's what the this is. He says, by this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So I want to show you a model. You've probably seen this before. Pastor Levi has shared it a couple of times and some other things that he's done. But uh, it's a model that we, uh, we've been kind of using for the last couple of weeks in our own personal life as a staff. And uh, it's called the Q Habit Reward Model. And so what Jesus is showing us is that this model, we develop a cue, and a cue is kind of like this cue card thing. So like, you know, a cue card, you, you hold up something and you, next to a screen and somebody reads it. It's this idea of what moves you to a particular action. And so Jesus is saying that you got to have a cue. So the cue for us in this verse, in verse 8, I don't know if you saw it, but he said, by this my Father is glorified. By abiding in Christ, God is glorified. So the ultimate cue, the thing that should move us to doing anything in life, is the glory of God. It's God being, is God made much of. And so that's the cue. And then he says from there you develop a habit. What's the habit? He told us the habit in verses 1 through 7. It's abiding in him. It's obeying his word, staying in connection with him through prayer. That's the habit that, that we develop. So we have the cue, the glory of God, developing a habit, abiding in Christ, and then it leads to a reward in life. The reward in life is fruit, but not just fruit. Jesus says much fruit. What he's doing is he's actually kind of paralleling this idea of outside of Christ, not a Christian, trying to produce good works really is meaningless. He says, says, without me, you can't do anything. And so he's paralleling that idea with this idea of not just fruit, much fruit. It's the idea that when we abide in Christ to the glory of God, developing habits that honor Him, that He doesn't just produce fruit in you, but He produces much fruit. That's a good thing. We need a lot of fruit. And so that's what Jesus has given us. He's given us a model to abide in Him, and that prayer, through prayer and, and uh, through, com- uh, sorry, through obeying the commands of His Word is how we abide. And so what are the commands of His Word? Like, well, what are the things that we're called to do? And so that's where those lists come in earlier. 
Because, you know, abiding in him, obedience to his word and prayer, like we got to know his word. we got to know what it says. And so what does his word say? Well, his word tells us a lot of things. His word, tell us, his word tells us how to be fathers, how to be mothers, how to be workers, how to live in a community where people don't know the Lord, how to live in community with one another in the church. There's so many things that his word is commanding us to do. And part of abiding in him is living in those things. And so to live in those things and live in them rightly and let the Spirit work in us through those things means that fruit is produced in our life. So we need to think on those things and live in those things, but what are they? And we just go back to the list. That makes it really easy. You know, so what I want to try to do is just kind of help you take this model, cue, habit, reward, go back to those lists, and then maybe talk about how do we develop God-honoring spiritual habits when it comes to what the Lord says in our life, ultimately for His glory, but to the benefit of producing fruit. And so there's three things that you can do. Like if you take this model, anything you do, you, can, you don't even have to use this model for your own spiritual life. You can use this model in anything in life and it's going to help you develop a habit. But Jesus gave it to us and so we're going to use it to develop God-honoring spiritual habits. So as we do this, what should we do? The first thing that we need to do is be biblical. Like we need to think about, okay, what, is, what does Jesus say this, about, about this particular area in my life? And the second thing that we need to do is we need to be creative. So as we're looking to uh, develop God-honoring spiritual habits in our life, we need to not only be biblical, but we need, but we need to be creative. Well, Brandon, what do you mean about being creative? Well, well say you want to see like the fruit of people come to know the Lord through you, or at least you just want to share the gospel with them. So that's the reward, right? You want to see fruit. You want to see people know the Lord. You want to do it for the cue, the glory of the Lord. So in the middle, what habit should you and I be forming that leads us to, get to that fruit? Because here's the thing, and I don't know if you thought about this before, but um, if you want to develop a habit, uh, or if you want to lose weight, that's the fruit, that's the reward, and uh, you need to develop a habit of work out, eat right. If you don't develop a habit of working out and eating right, and then you get angry at yourself because you didn't lose weight, something's miss. So in our own spiritual life, if we get frustrated with ourselves because we didn't share the gospel or nobody's come to know the Lord through our works, maybe we should see, hey, is there, a he is there a healthy habit in my life that's developing the spiritual fruit? So maybe you want to do that. You know, one thing that you could do, develop a habit of like when you go out to eat somewhere, ask your waitress or your waiter, hey, how can I pray for you? We're about to say a blessing over our food. We want to pray for you. Cool thing is, uh, several, several months ago, I had the opportunity. Uh, we were up here eating at Rib Country. Good stuff. Free Cookie Tuesday. Favorite day. And uh, while we were there, uh, the waitress was bringing our stuff out. And, and uh, we told her, we said, hey, we're going we're gonna to pray here in a second over our food. How can I pray for you? And so she began to share. You know, a lot of times you get, well, you know, pray for this, pray for that. But, but she just started sharing what was going on in her life. And it was really cool to see that, you know, the Lord was just opening up a door. And so I asked her if she was a, a Christian. And, you know, how, how, and then I asked her after she answered she was a Christian. I said, well, tell me how you become a Christian. And she told me that. And so we talked for a little bit. And I said, well, hey, do you go to church anywhere? And she's like, no, not really. And, and, uh, and, but she says, I've got a stepdaughter or soon-to-be stepdaughter. And, and uh, she says, she needs to go to church. And, uh, and so I said, okay, well, cool. She should come to our church. And so uh, her stepdaughter came on a Wednesday night several months ago. And uh, at the end of Wednesday night, got saved. All because, all because at that moment, you know, I'm like, hey, you know what? I I'm going to ask again somebody else, another, wa another waitress, how can I pray for you? If you want the reward of seeing spiritual fruit in your life, what habit are you developing? Maybe the other thing that you want to see happen is you want to see yourself be the kind of person that's caring for the hurting in the community. Maybe the habit that you need to, de need to develop is just walking across the street. 
You know, maybe the habit or the fruit that you want to see happen in your life is, you know, seeing people invited to church. And you just want to see people show up. Maybe in the areas that you're already develop, you've already developed friendships or relationships, maybe you just need to develop a habit of once a week or once a month, I'm going to ask one person from my social circle to be a part of church with me. Don't overcomplicate things. Just be creative in it. You know, be creative with this, with this idea of, you know, maybe, maybe, this, maybe it just takes just this little bit every time I do something and I'll begin to see fruit. And then finally, be encouraged. Not, not only be biblical, do what Jesus says, be creative, think outside the box a little bit. But, but finally, be encouraged because the good news about it is that Jesus is the one that wants to work through you. Like Jesus is the one that wants to get the glory. Jesus is the one that's connected to the Father. Jesus ultimately is the one the Father looks at to determine if the work is good. And so be encouraged because Jesus takes great stock in his work. And so because of that, he gives us the spirit to be able to do the God-honoring fruit work in our life that, that produces fruit. And at the end of John, he told, he told his disciples, he said, hey, I'm about to leave. But the good news is says, I'm going to give you a helper. And that helper is not just going to be outside hanging out with you. He's going to be in you. He's going to be with you. He's going to convict. He's going to give truth. And he's going to help you. And that's, that helper was the Holy Spirit. And so we, not only should we be biblical, should we be creative, but we should be encouraged knowing that the Lord is concerned with his work. And so if you go and be faithful to do his work, he's going to work through you. And that's great news. And, and, and to me, what's really cool, talking about this idea of habit, looking at the model that Jesus gave us, the idea that, that there is a cue in life, that cue is the glory of God, that there's a habit, it's abiding in Christ through obeying his word and praying with him, and the reward is fruit. Seeing the idea that Jesus gave us a model to develop habits in our life, it's really neat to think about that if you do habits enough, eventually they stop becoming habit and they start becoming lifestyle. That's cool. Like that's, to me, that's neat because I see Jesus showing us that and then I think, you created us to do that. Like, not only did you tell us, but like you set us up for success in that area. And so just to kind of finish with a little bit of encouragement, there's a great quote from Oswald Chambers, and he says, identify your shortcoming, and then look for opportunities to work into your life that missing quality. Love means that there are no visible habits, that your habits are so immersed in the Lord that you practice them without realizing it. The only supernatural life is the life the Lord Jesus lived, and he was at home with God anywhere. Is there some place where you are not at home with God? What's cool is that that was this past Tuesday's devotion in Oswald Chambers, My Utmost for His Highest, his devotional book. And so where are you not at home with God right now in your life as far as developing God-honoring spiritual habits for his glory to produce fruit? Where is that area that you need to develop for his glory. My encouragement to you this morning is just to pray about that to start with. Ask God to show you the areas in your life. Like, Lord, I know I'm not producing fruit in this life, but when I look back on it, the reason I'm not producing fruit is that I'm not obeying and abiding in your word and creating a habit out of that. Help me to develop a habit from this command. 
And the neat thing about it, like if you think, like if we all did that, like if we all left from here and we said, you know what, I need to develop a habit of sharing more. I need to develop a habit of being the leader of my family. I need to develop a habit of being a, a, a better coworker. I need to develop, a, you know, a habit of, uh, of being a better student or a habit of being a better sp- uh, sports, uh, you know, being a better athlete, a team athlete, uh, whatever it is, like all these different habits that we have that we create. But if we all went out and we just said, you know what, I'm going to create a habit, a spiritual habit in this area. If we all did that, what that would look like. It would be pretty neat to see what this church, what this community would do if, if um, we were all deciding that, hey, you know what, I'm, I'm going to live habitually for the Lord, for the purpose of fruit in his glory. And Jesus actually gives us a picture of what happens when a community of people do that. In Acts chapter 2, at the end of the chapter, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to the fellowship, to prayer, to sharing of their stuff with one another. They devoted themselves, meaning they attached themselves to a habit of doing these things. And then at the end of that, guess what? It shows the reward. It says, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so we want to see fruit in our life. We need to develop God-honoring spiritual habits to the glory of God for that fruit to happen. And if we all did that, we would see the Lord work in, this, in, in Concord more than he's done in these last several years. We'd be blown away. And that would be really cool. And so where are you not at home with the Father right now when it comes to God-honoring spiritual habits? Because really when it comes down to it, spiritual success comes only from abiding in Christ. Let's pray. Father, pray that we would be people who abide in you in all that we do. That, God, we would be driven to be successful spiritually. And being successful spiritually, Father, does not start anywhere else but in you. So as we respond this morning, Father, help us to remember that. In your name we pray. Heads bowed.